welcome to the Show Up Podcast, a place where we explore leadership and how it's showing up for us in the world in which we work, and a space for you to explore what leadership means in your context, how you show up, how you turn up to be the best leader you can be in the world that you work in today. This week is a bit of a real-time exploration as to what it's like to notice you're in a different place to where you'd like to be as a leader and how you can actually practically pivot in the moment from that position. Uh, We were going to talk about diversity and diversity in the workplace, but just before we started to go live, I noticed that I wasn't really in a place to sort of talk about that in the way that I'd like to. So with a bit of proactive engagement with the team, a bit of authenticity and a bit of honesty, we started to go down a different path and explore what it could mean for you as a leader if you notice where you are in a moment and take the choice that feels truest for you at that time. So enjoy. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of the podcast and probably time we gave you a bit of real talk about how we've got to this very moment that we're about to go in and talk, right Derry? (laughs) Yeah, real talk <laughs> yeah, needed. Real talk needed. So we'll, we'll be honest with the listeners. We do a bit of thinking before we go into doing these episodes, right? We sit there and we have a, an idea of what topics are present in us that we think we'd like to explore and have a conversation about as the three of us. And the topic for today, as we brought it up, I personally noticed I didn't have the energy to go and explore that today in the way I would normally like. Now, thankfully, in the company of Jamie and Derry, I felt comfortable enough to be able to say, hey, guys, I know that was the plan, but would we mind if we changed it? Because I just don't feel like I've got the energy for it. Um, And then Derry had a great idea, which was... So I reflected on the fact that I've been feeling like physically a bit all over the place this week and Jamie and by the way listeners uh, Jamie has popped off to get a cup of tea right now um because he's not physically where he needs to be and the the whole idea was actually we're all feeling a little bit physically not on top of our games and those physical experiences and feelings in our bodies can tell us things that are useful so I thought, let's explore that, given Graham doesn't have the energy to give it his all on the topic we were going to talk about. So, yeah, so that's where we've decided to go. It'd be a great time for Jamie to add his voice to this, but this kettle's taking a really long time to boil. So When he said he's got to get another cup of tea, I didn't realise you know, he was going to actually go and boil the kettle from scratch. And uh, I, hear I, I, think, I think he'd actually gone to India to get the leaves. So... <laughs> India being the traditional pot. home for tea leaves, by the way. Other countries are suppliers of tea leaves in the world. This is not the BBC, and you're not going to get cancelled for saying anything about there being Indian tea as opposed to Chinese tea as opposed to Guatemalan tea or whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, I'm you're absolutely right. a nice Chinese oolong, actually. So, yes. Where, where is your tea uh, from, Jamie? And I know you didn't seem to come back with a cup of tea. Where, uh... oh, there we go. Right. What, what is your tea? Talk, talk to us about your tea. My tea is actually, um, I don't know where it's from, to be honest. It's a pucker tea, advertising. Pucker, nice. Other tea brands uh, aren't available. No, not certainly not in this office. 
and um, and that's thanks to another company which I'm going to try and drain, name drop at some point. Um, the tea is probably from all over the place. I think it's a blended tea, but actually I've noticed I find it really important, particularly as it's more than likely going to have some elements of chamomile in it. And I found that chamomile tea for about the last 10 years has been really helpful for me just as a constant little nudge into the just stay calm and it's not even so much that chamomile itself may do anything for me it just helps me remind myself that staying present staying calm is actually a very good way of me being the best version of myself rather than getting too caught up in or subject to the emotions i might be feeling at any time but i've been listening to you guys do the intro and uh, um couldn't agree with you more i think this week amongst other weeks has been um one of those weeks where you go, I really need to listen to my body a bit more. So what was it that told you just before we started recording that you needed to top up your tea? Well, looking at my cup and it was empty, having thought it would be okay, but I obviously swigged it back as we were doing our chat before we started. But I find that actually having something that um, slows me down in my thinking, which is I'll have a little sip of something, um, particularly something quite warming and, and relaxing. Um, if I don't have that, then I notice that I can sometimes get caught up in um, uh, what's going on in a conversation or a piece of work. Or at the moment, I, I've noticed, and I've noticed recently that my emotional um, calmness or the emotional sort of temperature level has been on the high level. I've been quite reactive. I've been quite um, irritable uh, and everything I can do, all the shifts I can focus on, all the things I can do to try and just keep that down a bit uh, have been things that I've been really very much focused on. And I just noticed the cup was empty. So had to do it. So the uh, the presence of that cup of tea in your office actually helps you think more calmly and be more present in this conversation. Because it it's is a one of, yeah. connection to it. It is. It is part of. It's part of. I'd call it one of my little tiny weenie practices of slow down, have a cup of tea, make time for it, and it's and it's in some ways it might be revealing. And we've touched on this in another uh, of our episodes about framing my relationship with time. I have time to make sure I am comfortable so I can be the best version of myself. And in this case, that was, I want to be really present, really properly present with you guys because I love these conversations. I'm going to be looking at my empty cup of tea the whole time. And that will distract me from being present. That makes a lot of sense. Mm. Such an interesting thing, I think the um, the things that impact our ability to think clearly. I am um, I've had a lot going on with work at the moment, and uh, about two three days ago, my wife said to me, "I'm because I'm going on a, a trip overseas next week to deliver a bunch of training, um, and that's been kind of heavy on my mind." And my wife said to me, uh, after that trip, will things calm down for you a little bit?" 
And when we dug into why she'd asked that question, she was feeling like I was not present and disconnected at home because I had a lot flying around my mind to the point where she had given me some information related to picking up the kids at some point and I'd completely misinterpreted it and ended up waiting for them in the wrong place um, for half an hour because I wasn't fully present, fully concentrating. And a lot of that was manifesting itself for me physically as well in tiredness, but it was, it was disproportionate to the amount of work I've actually been doing. My tiredness was disproportionate. So like, back in the day, years ago, I I would work many, many more hours than I'm currently working in terms of productive time working. And I would get a lot less sleep and I'd be a lot less tired. Now I'm older, obviously. But this week I've been reflecting on, actually, I feel way more tired than I should for what's going on for me. And mm. I don't think I'm ill. I think there's other things related to the type of work I'm doing, the type of conversations I'm having that are causing me a bit of stress and cause, and the physical manifestation of that is the tiredness. Is that, would if you were to summarize where you've been putting that lot of work you've been doing of late, if you were to partition that, what proportion would you say has been what you might argue is comfort zone known space and what proportion has been at your edge? I would say it ordinarily, I mean, I guess if I kind of bucket up my work activities at, the, at a very high level into unpressured kind of writing, developing, thinking time, which is very comfortable, um, client-related stuff to a deadline, which I've been doing for 20 years, so it's relatively comfortable and I, I know what I'm doing but still a bit more stressful than the kind of pure just writing blog posts etc yeah. and then new stuff new conversations with new people proving myself putting myself out there as the kind of highest intensity like newest out of comfort zone stuff definitely been more towards that third bucket in the last couple of weeks than I normally would be so something like you know, if I take bucket buckets one, two, and three, ordinarily I'd be running at kind of 50-50 between one and two with a little bit of three. And more recently, it's been a bit more 25-25-50 with about half of my time on the bucket three stuff. So a significant shift towards out of comfort zone activity. That's interesting. Because like, like we were saying, before we went live, I was noticing that fatigue and you'd said something Derry in the preparation that made me go ah I've been at the edge of a comfort zone for me and I love that edge because it's the kind of edge that stretches me it forces me to not rest on my laurels get too comfy with myself and what feels great you know that nice warm blanket of known feeling I, I really like to push myself out of that in service of what I think could be a good outcome. And I get a lot of energy. I get a lot of energy from that. And I can, I notice I can do that well for a number of days and weeks in a row, if I really care about the output that it's going to get me. But there comes a point where the, I have to, my body asks to buy that back. 
And as you said that earlier on, I think I noticed I was right in that tipping point of my body asking to buy it back, where it's saying, you've been out of your comfort zone. That's great. Well done. You've got through it. You've, you've, you've done more than you normally do. And you've not been hurt. You've not been harmed. You've not, you know, you've not blown yourself up, so to speak. But I need it back now. So we can go for the next cycle or so you can do somewhere else. And I notice physically in my body, you know, if I just sit and pay attention right now to what my body's telling me, my ankles feel heavy and swollen. My stomach feels fatigued. My ears feel hot. <laughs> my eyes are heavy. I'm just noticing those are the kind of sensations going on for me as I sit and think, what's my body telling me at this moment of inflection, really, in what it needs and what it wants? There's an interesting analogy there when I think about physical development. In my my area of that is strength training. I'm a powerlifter. And the method to get stronger is to apply stress to the organism me in this case and then recover from that stress and like the classic saying is you don't get strong lifting weights you get strong recovering from lifting weights you being at the bleeding edge of your comfort zone in new activities is applying a level of stress and maybe this is your way of your body saying okay we've got enough now we need to recover from that and then next week you can you can go again. It's and the, the physical manifestations you talk about are fascinating to me. I had you've reminded me that I said to Joe, my wife, yesterday, I've got this weird pain like just under my rib cage that like just feels like I've tweaked a muscle or something, but I haven't done anything that could lead to me tweaking a muscle. And I've got a bit of pain in my right big toe. I'm like, what? Why have I got those things? And then actually this morning I took a conscious decision to delay my start to the working day and go for a really long run for me i don't run much um but i ran for about an hour this morning well done and, and i feel so much better physically now for doing that and i don't and i i should be feeling kind of a bit beaten up and tired from suddenly going out for a long run when i'm not that adapted to it but i wonder whether there's something about the mental release of just getting out there getting away from some of the more stressful bleeding edge out of comfort zone activity I've been spending this week on that's enabled me to just reset a little bit and feel a bit more comfortable or maybe just because it's Friday afternoon. I don't know. Have I, have I told you guys about the, the research that Nick Petrie has been doing Nick Petrie, who's one of the leading thinkers in the world of adult development or vertical development, as it's sometimes known. And he's been doing some research into the concept of burnout over the last six months or so. Have I mentioned that before? Not on the podcast. I think you've skated around it in one of our many other chats. Um, okay, well, the, there is an awful lot of really great um, uh, research that he's still in progress of doing. Um, it is expanding. It continues to expand, um, how I say it, um, from what was already a fairly considerable um, research study uh, back in 2022. And one of the things that really showed up early on, which was, I don't think really an intent of their discovery, but it, it came as a, about as one or two of the uh, people they were interviewing 
um, surfacing for them, which was this idea of having an opposite. And having an opposite um, in that case were, were there were, I think it was a, a neuroscientist or a doctor or um, somebody who was somewhere on the, an outlier of the, um, from a career perspective, perspective of somebody who'd stayed in their career longer than most people normally would because they normally retire or burn out or something. And the question in the research was, how, how is it you found a way of keeping going on longer than most? And the answer was, I found my opposite. Or I actually found my outlet. My outlet was dancing. And he and his wife did tango dancing. And he said it was the most wonderful thing. He filled every other opportunity he could in his, in his non-work time with thinking about and then doing tango dancing. Something that meant that he wasn't just sitting around doing nothing and recharging batteries in a kind of conventional sense. He was feeding some other part of him that allowed him to recharge the batteries that he then could take back into whatever the job was. And I, and I, I thought it was a neuroscientist, but it could be somebody else. Um, and the, the research has branched into um, what do uh, people find as their opposites? How do you support somebody finding an opposite? Is it the same for everybody and so on and so forth? And it's interesting that you said that I thought I would be tired from doing something completely different from what I was doing, which was making me tired, which I'm not adapted for right now, which is a longer run than normal, but I actually feel better for it. It's like rebalancing the scale somehow. Yeah, that's really interesting. That research is very interesting. Um, it's bringing to mind for me, I am, um, what, probably just seven or eight weeks ago now i re-established my early morning routine that i'd had about six months prior and had dropped off and in a nutshell i get up earlier and i do a bunch of stuff mm -hmm. cold water and meditating and reading and things that um i find really helps me maintain emotional stability through the through the day but the other thing that i've always noticed when i go in and out of these phases where i'm doing it is I'm getting less sleep, but I'm less tired. And I've put that down to that emotional regulation through the day. So I'm not I'm not as emotionally volatile and therefore I'm less stressed mm. and less drained through the day. But maybe, Jamie, there's something in this opposites concept that's working there as well. Because I'm taking that block of time, an hour every day, to get my head straight and release it through some other activities it's not tango dancing but it's I was, yeah i was gonna say i mean there's like an old the old folklore of changes as good as a rest yeah. yeah and i wonder whether there's something in that or that will be it without necessarily the kind of research that's going on right now but if anybody's interested get in touch with us because i'll put you in touch with nick petrie and the research program um because he's continuing to look for both people to study people to get engaged people to continue to to, to move that research forward it is it is absolutely fascinating the idea was originally about what's the relationship between performance and growth you know delivering outcomes in a business growing your yourself developmentally and what popped out was this thing of how do you then find the opposite to balance yeah. the others and a very and different other... response to stress and burnout for that you know many many people for years their response to feeling stressed has been I'm going to fall into addictive behaviors of various kinds, whether that's yeah. drink, drinking or working too much or over-exercising, like many, many, many different things. And it sounds like in this case, the opposite is a very balanced and conscious passion 
that that doesn't take away from his ability to work as a top neuroscientist or whatever the role is, but it allows him that complete mental break from it. Mm. Graham, you look like you're just about to say something. Or whistle. Oh, I've I've had a thought for a whole other podcast subject. Well, you can uh, advertise it now. We've got I no restrictions because we're not the BBC. To find the words. But there's something about new forms of addiction. Right. So I, I, you know, I know, pe- I know pe- <laughs> yeah, I, comment below. Um, but I know people who, you know, swear by them routine. I, I, I've met someone recently and this individual um, is finding their new lease for life again having had a period where they felt like they were giving it back to the world and not really getting anything back for themselves, lost a bit of traction with it, right? And one of the areas that they found that helps them with that is exercise. But when I was chatting the other day and I said, what would happen if you didn't get to do your exercise? It was a non-negotiable. This is happening no matter what. So there's that, is that a form of addiction for that person? I mean, that's pretty much the definition of addiction. Yeah, right. I but can't voluntarily also, stop doing this thing. But then it's also what I'm, well, that's drawing to and think about in the context of what we're saying about this idea of opposites. And when I think of opposites, I often think of a pendulum on a grandfather clock. You start here, you move to there. You start, you're there, you move back to there. And you, you're constantly in a state of movement between different states each of which offers a benefit. But also when you get to that point where it just hits the end of the arc and there's a professional term for it, I don't know what it is, but that point where it gets to the maximum swing point before swinging back. And it kind of holds and pauses there before needing to move again. Jamie knows the word, don't you? No, I'm thinking my son would know exactly what that is and he'd be laughing at me right now going, yeah, dad, I've told you that several times. Yeah, there old. is a word I can't for remember. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is. It's that like I'm thinking apotheosis or something like that, or perambulum or not, something it, like that. In it, it's some weird. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, but it's the point where everything, the momentum drops, and it yeah, takes back the other way. Perfect moment reverses. of stillness. Yeah. Yeah. And are we talking about moments of stillness? Right. You know, Derry. You said you used to have a routine. You've something's taken that routine and changed it some way probably for the good at the start, but you realize you needed to do something again. So you've gone to employ the routine again. That's yeah. just what came to and my I mean, that, that routine certainly gives me moments of stillness. Yeah. The other thing I'm wondering, if we try to take this round to leaders. Yeah. Um, so a couple of images have kind of popped in my head thinking about this concept of opposites and... um tuning into the kind of physical signs of your body i remember there was a girl i knew at university who got a job on the on the trading floor at goldman sachs as a 22 year old graduate and she was sent by goldman sachs a list of something like 145 tips of how to be successful as a new trader at at goldman sachs and uh I i remember her Seeing there was a line there that literally said, if you're tired, caffeinate yourself. If you're still tired, caffeinate yourself more. 
It's like the the official guidance was if your body's telling you that you're tired and you can't go on, you just you need to drug yourself in various ways. And wouldn't surprise me if between the lines they weren't just referring to caffeine. But um and then I was pondering I was thinking like, well, I know law firms where they have beds in the offices for times when you're working through the night and you need to grab a couple of hours kit because you can't function anymore. And then on the flip side to that, we have quite a a growing trend at the moment towards companies shifting to a four-day working week. And all of the data shows that when you move to a four-day working week, your productivity goes up, companies perform better, people are happier, their lives are more sustainable, retention goes up. For certain types of businesses, certain types of industries, the data is pretty uh, profoundly positive towards moving to a four-day working week and i wonder whether that jamie actually is part of this opposites idea because people have more time to pursue their opposites where in modern working life it's working a five-day working week when you've got a family and everything else going on it's very hard to pursue those interests i I think that's really interesting because i think there's there's a number of that's a really complex area but i think it's really interesting that that comparison you've drawn there because you're absolutely right i mean obviously with elon musk buying twitter and saying to the folks that he hadn't shot on day one um by the way we're expecting you to be even more hardcore than before and then there was a photo more recently on some social media thing of the lady who was sleeping next to her desk two days before she i think she was fired for not working hard enough or something and you're like okay what well, is that the norm that the organizations that purport to be the top of the tree the best performers aspire to or is that just an outlier but then as you say there's a lot of evidence of those who are focused on trying an experiment to create space for the opposite and let's let's not let's not just make the assumption that if you have the time to do an opposite you will then use it for an opposite um because those two things aren't they could they might correlate but they're not causal um, one gives you more opportunity to find your opposite. It's really down to the individual to then decide to tap into that um, opportunity. Um, I think there's a really interesting, maybe not necessarily polarization emerging in how organizations are currently thinking about this, in some ways being forced to think about it post-pandemic with a complete upheaval in the operating model of how do we work, hybrid, in office, at home, more flexible that was starting to come anyway um in some ways more inclusive in terms of embracing different working legislative options around flexibility for maternity paternity um and so on and so forth the the cycles of life so there's a there's a really big shift going on that has been around for a while but is right now this is moving all sorts of different directions the one thing that i think particularly if we think of that group of people we keep referring to as this golden age, you've been in the organization two or three years or in work for two or three years, you're in your mid-20s going up to the your 40s. What does it mean for you then? What does it mean for you? Are you starting to get in touch with the idea that your body might actually be telling you different messages than it was when you're in your 20s, early 20s or teens? Are you starting to feel the grind in the organization? Are you looking for some way of getting more balance because it's getting quite demanding are you actually now in a responsible position where 
you've got to be looking out for other people and so on and so forth. And uh, Graham, you and I were chatting earlier on about a client of mine whose population is arguably bang slap in the middle of that golden age. And they're incredibly successful, fast growing, very exciting business. Uh, founders of which incredibly self-aware have said, how do we learn what made us special so we don't lose that as we continue to grow? And during our discovery process, we noticed how intellectually brilliant most of the people we spoke to were, but actually how over-indexed they were on cognitively or intellectually trying to solve all of their problems and how very few of them were in touch with their emotions or physical side. But they were all high achievers, both intellectually and physically. I mean, these are people who are, some of them, world-class sports people. So everything they've done has always been to the best of, as opposed to as a way of finding balance. And yet their business, if they are to succeed, is going to need to find a balance to tap into both their intellectual cognitive brilliance, as well as their ability to keep going and create space for other people. And I think it's really important for, that's where we're going to potentially start doing our work with them. How do we help them get in touch with the over-indexing of one of their strengths and, and things that have made them brilliant to where they've got to right now and start to get them more closely in touch with something which they might also be brilliant at, but actually might be very just very helpful to release the pressure valve a little bit um, and not to necessarily apply the achiever mindset to everything they do at risk of actually creating that burnout situation that Nick was talking about, which is everything's about performance or growth. Um it's interesting that uh, that example when you talk about them being kind of physically world class as well, some world class athletes, etc. Because my assumption would be that as a world class athlete, you're more attuned to your body and what your body's telling you. But uh, if I'm understanding correctly, what you're saying is that they maybe they do have that from a kind of physical function perspective. Yeah, they don't necessarily they're not using signals from their body to assist them with decision making. Like no, this very, is yeah, you're, very much head over gut or heart in terms of decision making in that business context. Is that? Am I yes, it's very that? yeah, very much very much a, an over indexing on the head over anything else. The when 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 having had a conversation with one or two of them about how do you guys get out and have some fun? Oh, I go and run ultra marathons. I go off and play cricket for you know some fairly uh, highly competitive sort of county second team if they'll have me type thing i'm like okay so where's where's the just the bit for you that is tapping into your emotional side it's the it was the emotional bit of the physical that i think we noticed was somewhat missing this is an organization who actually um fascinatingly is built around a core value that's quite emotional and yet and yet the the connection to the emotion is something that many of the brilliant people in it are less attuned to, despite having this sort of physical opposite, potentially physical opposite. So really the, the point was, how how do you start getting in touch with it when up until God knows early mid-20s, you've been applauded. In fact, you've been hired because of your ability to achieve at the very highest levels. In fact, that's why, in fact, you wouldn't have got there. You wouldn't have been anywhere close to where you are now unless you'd just been driven, 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 driven. Also, that's the story. 
how do you then kind of recondition that? Otherwise, you end up on that burnout path. One of the things that I've observed with individuals like that, I'll probably put myself in in that bucket in my 20s as well. Um, Often they claim that they don't really feel many intense emotions, that they're just on an even keel the whole time. And one of the things that I've observed is that there some of some people like that can be very unaccustomed to tuning into their own emotional state and they suppress those emotions for a bunch of reasons um that might take us off on a bit of a tangent if we dive into that too deeply. But um and partic- particularly men, particularly men are often quite poor at tuning into their own emotions and what what their emotions are saying and and where their emotions kind of show up in their bodies and it's a lot of one of the things that we do a lot in the men's work that i do is just try and help men tune into the physical sensations of emotions in the body so they recognize what emotion is going on for them and if you're like a super cognitive high achiever and you're always using your analytical brain to solve problems you can shut down all of that emotional story that's that's coming up and you don't tune into when you're feeling a bit angry and whether that tells you what's going on or you don't tune into uh even joy i mean that was my 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 kind of personal blocker was always on feeling and expressing joy in a in a healthy way Graham, you're, uh, I'm you're laughing, laughing because there, but... I'm like, Derry, have you just watched my life without me knowing for the last three <laughs> weeks? Because <laughs> I think in that one bit, you've just described exactly what my life has been. Because, <laughs> you know, as a family, we face a, a an interesting crossroads at the moment, an exciting one, an opportunity maybe on the horizon. And we've got to think through it all. And <laughs> we've been logicaling the hell out of that. <laughs> And we've got a whole set of logical steps we can comfortably take and it will be okay. And I deliberately asked a friend this morning, Ken, you're, you're way better at the emotional bit. Tell me what you think about this and what comes up because I can't tune into it <laughs> to try and help me tune up that part that I've been ignoring. And it just made me chuckle because you, you, that's what I've been doing because uh, that's my perfect default. Case study. That's my default in those moments. Yeah you know, to work through the logic. Do not let emotion cloud the logic. But with all the development work I've been doing in the last 10 years, that has a higher degree of self-awareness in it. I know that I need to pay attention to the emotional bit because if I don't, when the emotion comes up, I can't process it because it's as raw as heck and I haven't got a clue what to do with it. And it doesn't help. And in fact, really, really hinders. And I couple that with a conversation I had with a world-class athlete earlier on in the week where we were talking about some adventures. And and I said, just hands up, guys. I know when I'm really, really fatigued, I get vertigo. And they were like, and, and I said, oh, and he's seen me get it because we've been together when I've got it. And he's gone, yeah, but I think part of that's in your head because I notice you don't try and push through it. You notice it and you lean away from it. Now, I know the reasons I don't go near it is because I know that the risk, there's a 
greater risk on the other side. You know, it often shows up. You boys have both done winter sports. Um, you know, when you're skiing or snowboarding, you go across a mountain top where the 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 route is a meter and a half wide. If I'm really really tired, that route feels really narrow, and I'm extra tense while boarding along it. Because I'm like, if I get this edge wrong or if I don't turn in time or do that, don't want that. <laughs> so I lean away from the risk and either unclick the board or just don't go down the route or whatnot, you know. Or I notice sometimes I've got to take a really, really, really deep breath and just go, trust yourself. But there's that whole debate and dialogue that goes on. And I, and I wonder, to bring it back to that question you asked about these these leaders that we're considering as we talk in these conversations. I find myself wondering what are the kind of questions that those leaders should be asking themselves to notice around these polarities. And I thought, well, you two boys, you might have some ideas. Good questions. Yeah. I think for me, I think there's, it's not always easy in a leadership environment because everybody's always running so fast, right? But yeah. one of the most powerful things is just to stop and check in with how you're really feeling about something and try and put your finger on why. I have noticed over the years that whenever I've been hiring people and I have a couple of candidates in front of me and one of them on paper has all the attributes that I need. But my gut is telling me there's something that's not going to work here. Every single time I've gone against my gut on that, I've it's been a mistake. And it's person, bitten you in the ass in professional terms. Indeed, yeah. yeah. And anyone who's ever hired and had to fire people will know that that is not a process that you want to go through accidentally so now i listen to my gut a lot more and that when i say listen to my gut the emotion that resides there for me is fear and so i can tune into that fear that i feel that this person is not going to work out and things are going to go wrong and actually now listen to it to inform decision making which i could never put in if they ask for recruitment feedback and interview feedback you can't talk about that you can't say like and you know rationally you're the best candidate but frankly i was a bit scared to hire you so i said no but it's it's important i think as a leader to listen to that similarly if you're in a meeting where um the conversation gets heated and you feel some anger come up that's normally a representation that some boundary has been crossed somewhere and that something might be going about to go wrong and you should tune into that anger not to shout and rant and rave and, and express it in an unhealthy way but try and listen to what it's telling you like why do i feel angry about this conversation what is the boundary that's being crossed the 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 line that's being kind of stepped into here that is telling me something that might inform my decision making or or even or even beyond the the outside of me, what's being crossed is what have I become subject to or in the grip of? What has been brought up that I care about so much 
that it is now overriding any of my ability to then process what else is going on and it's taken over my narrative yeah and like from a brain science point of view this is all talking about some like it all all these reactions fire off the center of the brain that doesn't have words and you need time to find the words for it and what i get the impression is here that you both suggesting taking that time to allow those emotions to happen it means you can check in with them and then find the terminology. Like you exactly. said, Derry, in a recruitment process, you might, no one can ever, these days you have to have a solid rationale. So if it is a gut feel thing, you've got to take the time to find the language that describes the gut feel sensation on which you've made that choice on, because then you're giving information right and that's how that whole process has evolved so the it's still fair and equitable in in the business but it's so many occasions like you said jamie in meetings where you just sit there and go something's not right here i don't feel right you've got to give yourself the space to find it yeah one one method and this is i mean to come back to your uh, earlier question so what could what could leaders be thinking about um, number one is when was the last time I did do what just Derry just suggested, which is to slow down and stop and pay attention to how am I feeling at any given point in time, particularly in a process that I'm normally used to, which is in and out of meetings or just come out of a meeting where I'm feeling something different than just completely calm. When was the last time I stopped and paid attention to what's going on with my body? That's number number one question. If, the, if you've never done that, if you've done it recently, second question is going to be much more difficult, which is, when I notice something that doesn't feel comfortable, what question does that cause me to ask? What question could I be asking right now about what this feeling is and the context? If I've not paid attention to it, I won't be thinking about the question, but if I have paid attention to it in those moments, what's the question there in the hiring situation? What is it that I could turn that feeling into that's a question that would help me tackle that fear, that uncertainty, that something's not quite right here, or that anger, that frustration, or indeed that absolute joy, which is, dare I say it, equally as dangerous if it's just a feeding of the optimism bias that is going to inform groupthink, which means everybody's going to disappear off down one alleyway and overlook something else. But more obvious if it's one of those really heated emotions what's the question i should be asking here it's interesting jamie because the image that's popped in my mind is that the leader's standing at the end of a path and they've got to a point where there's three four five six different avenues that they could take off it and they have no way of differentiating between those six initially other than what they feel but that taking that moment and just appreciating what each path could offer based on what they could see or what they feel might actually help them make a more fair and equitable. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? More, be more fair and equitable in how they review all the options. So they maybe consider more and, and, and choose to take a path and they could all lead to the same place, yeah. but how they, they, could, they could down do. it. They could do, but that's slowing down. It's that kind of, how do you slow down the reflex as opposed to the response? I just slow down the reflex so that at least then, whichever path you choose, because there's no guarantee you will get the best or right path, even if you do that, 
whichever path you choose, you can then relate it back to the choice you made as opposed to just it happened because of my emotion. My emotion took me to here. Oh, slow down. What is, what's the best outcome here? What's the best? Why do I feel fearful of this? What is, ah, this looks the least fearful. This looks like it's the best outcome. What were the signals that suggested best, least fearful? Oh, and then whatever outcome you get, you can relate back to the thing that drove you most towards the answer to the question. Even if that then gets better and better each time, because ultimately the best bit is when you get to the point where you're not in the grip of the emotion, you're noticing it as it's starting to emerge or when it lands and you build in time to reflect and ask the questions. And you've been there before and you go, ah, oh, this one is a really heated anger. I need to probably withdraw from the conversation before I make either a fool of myself or insult somebody and just go for a walk around the table or around the block before I come back and then or whatever it might be. That's where the practice comes in, which is something that I wouldn't expect anybody who's never really tried to do something like this to either get right or feel comfortable first time. But that first time is just slow down, stop. Unpack that moment. Then you've got a way of tracing evidence of outcome to choice you made, to question you asked, to the emotion you felt. And start to build a new body of evidence about what the emotions are really doing to your choices in those moments. I think that's really important. The other build I'd put on that is, and this is where we come back to the topics we've talked about before around self-awareness and shadow and where the origin of these emotions. So one of the skills I think it's really important for leaders to develop is this ability to identify, is that emotion about me and the situation I'm in right now? Or is it taking me back to some younger place? Am I regressed? Am I triggered? Am I feeling that emotion for reasons that have nothing to do with the decision I need to take right now? but to do with something that happened to me 20 years ago. And that self-awareness is really important to be, and again, it's got to be able to sit with that emotion so that you can process that before you allow it to influence your behaviors and your decisions. But fine tuning that ability and that self-awareness is ultimately going to help you take, take the data that you're talking about gathering, Jamie, of, I made this decision and we went down this path and that's what happened. And, and that all started from this emotion. Take that data and over time, build up a picture of are those emotions driving you to behave in the most appropriate way in that situation? Yeah. What you're, what you're essentially doing by introducing that disruption to your own normal practice is helping to recreate a new version of a map for yourself. Yeah. And it's your map. It's your better understanding of your own map that could be informed by shadow, your history, stories, and all that sort of stuff. Which remember, map is not the same as the landscape. It's just a way of interpreting the landscape. So it's just uh, it just helps you start to build that up a little bit. Um, and um, I think I think it's it, it, incredibly fascinating. I think in the last few years, my recognition of how little I paid attention to both the physical and emotional sides to myself suppressed them, hit them, ignored them, uh, resulted in quite uh, you know, detrimental uh, consequences for me at various different parts of my life. But also, I suspect, um, limited where I could have gone 
in terms of things that I could have enjoyed. Um, and I'm I'm now far more in tune with it, even though I'm still I'd call it beginner plus one stage. <laughs> in terms oh, of I, don't I, ever, I don't think you ever hone it to expert level. No, it's it's, it's really fun. Um, Graham, can I just ask you a question? Had you not either felt comfortable or even just raised it, where do you think? And I know it's speculating. It's a bit of a what if. What if we just got on with the conversation we thought we were going to have? by diversity where do you think you would have ended up feeling or what do you think would have ended up being a consequence or an outcome for you i wouldn't have enjoyed the conversation because i think i'd have been permanently distracted going to to what you said derry i'd have been permanently distracted by my head saying honor the, the chaps and what we've said we talk about and my heart going but you're absolutely shattered you're not giving an answer that feels true because you can't engage that part of my brain will be occupied with that dialogue between head and heart rather than the actual conversation itself. That in the past has led to statements that don't feel fully thought through and that don't fully reflect actually what my stance is on a subject and possibly saying something that just upsets someone, which is never what I intend to do. So... So yeah, more, if we'd have gone life, down there, yeah. I don't think we'd have recorded another podcast again because I'd have probably upset you boys so much <laughs> that uh, you'd have said, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> or, or our three and a half listeners would have switched off after this next episode. <laughs> but actually, but it's, so it would have been for you an outcome you wouldn't have wanted to have repeated. Because I like because... going into these conversations feeling like I'm going to learn new things, I'm going to explore good stuff. And as I sit here right now at the end, I notice two things. One, I'm actually now tired because some of that that transition is taking place. That pendulum is swinging now for me to go, right, I need to just rest and recuperate and recover. Heads up, Mrs. Roberts, I'll probably fall asleep on the sofa tonight watching telly because my body's just starting to, you know, decompress. Um. Yeah, so, that, you know, that's one of the things I'm doing. But I'm also noticed I'm really energised because the conversation has helped me process what I hadn't been able to process before we started talking about it. So I actually feel really good now because we've spoken about it. Does that make sense? Yeah. You've helped my logical brain. <laughs> Beautiful in the moment case study of the type of stuff we're talking about. Um, should we draw to a close, chaps? I, I just want to, from my point of view throw in one final perspective for the leaders that we're talking to we've been talking an awful lot about you as an individual and how you're feeling and how that drives your behaviors um i think it's really important as a leader to think about how do you how can you create space for those you're leading and the team around you to pause check in with how they're feeling and express that openly in the room and use that to inform their decision-making and your decision-making. How can you create space to do this as a group? And I think that's really important to make it safe and give people the time to say, actually, let's just check in with how everybody's feeling about this decision we're about to take and see if anything comes up for somebody that might influence the direction that we take. 
So I wanted to throw that in as a final thought for people to go off and ponder. Jamie, what what kind of final takeaways have you got? I really like I really like the fact you've added that in there, um, uh, and it kind of poses the question for me, um, for anybody who listens to this, who goes, oh, you know what? I will maybe take a moment, pause, think about myself. What am I feeling here? What questions do I ask, and so on and so forth. Do they then get a chance at some point to reflect later? If I had to do that, what's going on for other people? And if I am the leader, as you just pointed out, how do I honor the fact that I needed to have that moment in order to learn something? How important and how valuable would it be to be able to, as a leader, say that that is the way we're going to operate? It doesn't take very much time, but it's an important disrupt to the otherwise jet stream that everybody feels that they're part of. Um, so I think it's really well put and really well brought up. Awesome. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Graham. Wonderful conversation as ever. And I very much look forward to the next one. Um, people, please do get in touch, uh, particularly if you want to check out the burnout research that Jamie was referencing. any of the subjects we cover in this podcast spark inspiration curiosity or concern within you do drop us a line details are in the comments below and we'll be happily there to listen and see how we can offer the best support for you